Um, the first question I'll ask you, like, you're obviously a therapist, so like, um, there's probably a lot of standard questions that you usually get asked when anyone asks you questions about being a therapist. But uh, have you ever actually been to therapy yourself? Yeah, yeah. Um, pretty much all therapists do have to go to therapy at some point. Um, now because most training programs do require you to go to therapy, but uh, an awful lot of therapists actually become therapists after having been to therapy for whatever reason. Okay. Yeah. And have you um? Was it early on that you had to go to a, like you you actually did have to go? It wasn't because of a training course. Like you actually just just went yeah, to therapy. Like I went to therapy. Um, just you know, kind of things uh, weren't going particularly well. You know, and uh, you know, I was I was kind of really struggling with my own with my own mental health. So I I went to eventually <laughs> to uh, to see a therapist, and uh, you know. It took a couple of goes to find the right therapist, you know. But uh, then, you know, kind of, I uh, went to see this, you know, went to see this guy, and you know, very interesting kind of experience, you know. Basically, I was, you know, kind of, I was kind of there for, you know, kind of, you know, I was, I think, I, I think I was seeing him for about a year, and then I decided that I was going to go and train as a therapist. Um, and of course that means that basically, you know, kind of, you know, I had more therapy to do. <laughs> yeah. And, um, was, uh, was there a bit of hesitancy, hesitancy at the start to go to therapy? Like, was it, um, kind of like you didn't feel like you were comfortable going in and talking about your feelings and stuff like that? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, it, it is, it's hard to go in and talk about your feelings. I mean, like, and I say to, I say to my clients, like, um, you know, how long would it take you to tell somebody the thing that scares you most in the world? You know, because that's the that's the whole thing is when you're going into therapy, you're going to talk about things and maybe things that you're going to be afraid of or things that are, uh, you know, kind of, you know, maybe things that you're ashamed of, you know, come up in therapy a lot. And that's that's a big issue. And particularly for guys, there's uh there's a lot of shame comes with uh, feelings, you know. Yeah, and you're and you're telling Pete, you're telling like a stranger stuff that you've probably never told your a lot of your family or a lot of your friends. Like it must be just a lot of a, uh, it must be such a thing to like, what's the word, to adapt to it. Like just getting used to this stranger. Just ta- it's it's such an interesting like concept almost. Like you're just stuck in this room with some guy you've never met before, and you have to talk with your feelings to them. Like, but uh, it's it's interesting. Like. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things. Um, part of the advantage of therapy is that therapist isn't involved in the rest of your life. So it's, you know, kind of it's all in one little kind of uh, box where you get to kind of explore things and it's it's all nice and safe. It's all kind of, I won't say safe, but, uh, you know, it's uh, it's kind of an enclosed environment where there's like, uh, you know, whatever you say to your therapist, it's not getting back to your ma or your sister or your da or, you know, you know, you're, you know, you know, nobody's ever going to come up to you in the street and go, I heard you talked about this in therapy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that, that's part of it. But also because the therapist is a stranger, you know, um, there's a, an element of kind of uh, uh, playing out of things 
you know, because, you know, my clients don't know me in that sense. You know, they don't, they don't have a, a relationship with me outside of uh, therapy, which means that, you know, when they're in the room, they actually imagine something of who I might be to them. And um, do you ever try to like give when, when you have a client, do you ever try to give them a sense of who you are and maybe share a bit of your own story to make you kind of relatable? Like, I'm, I'm assuming the first day you have a client, it's kind of, it's maybe not for some people, but for some people, it's maybe a bit edgy. Like they don't know who you are and they've all this stuff they want to unbox and they're probably a bit edgy. Like, do you try to get onto their level and say like, look, I kind of understand, you know, and, and you're trying to give a bit of your own story to get onto their level, um, I suppose. Generally, generally no. Um, you know, kind of self-disclosure with uh, therapists is kind of a, it's a big question. Like, so there are some therapists who do, you know, kind of tell their clients a lot about themselves. And then, you know, kind of from my kind of perspective, because I work in that with that kind of psychodynamic kind of method where it's actually kind of important that they don't know a huge amount about me because like that they have to be able to imagine and guess and do all that. Now, shall we say that doesn't mean that I'm, shall we say, an emotionless blank that sits there. You know, I'm, you know, I sit there and I will make, you know, in the first session, my job is to, I suppose, you know, kind of get the client to think, oh, this guy might be all right to talk to. You know, because, you know, if I'm trying to go, well, I understand. It's like, I don't understand. Yeah. You know, there's no way I can understand what somebody else has gone through. You know, I, you know, there's, it, the, jo- the whole job is to try and work towards it, even though it's kind of a, a thing that's, you know, kind of so far distant. You know, that it's, that it's actually impossible to ever get to that understanding because there's always more words for something you know so it's kind of a you know it's it's a you know it's 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 an interesting kind of process for people to actually go through and like you know yeah there is a some people might find it difficult to talk to someone that they that doesn't kind of talk back and tell them about themselves but other people find that that's really not helpful so it's kind of you know it depends you know there's you know different therapists for every client you know you know and, and i certainly wouldn't be the therapist for every client you know because just you know the way i work isn't suitable for everyone mm. yeah no it probably is each to their own in fairness um going back to the therapist you had was there what did you what did you kind of I'm assuming like you like the therapist you said you got along with really well. Like what did they what did they have that maybe you try to bring into your own um therapy practice and like this they kind of helped you with as you said, like you know, getting you know, getting kind of feeling comfortable like actually expressing yourself to them. Yeah. Um it's 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 quite difficult. I mean, my my own therapist is a, a psychoanalyst. You know, so it's, you know, it's, it's lying on the couch and the whole, you know, you know, like, like you, like you see in the, like you see in the movies and stuff, you know, you're lying on a couch, staring at a, staring at a ceiling with somebody sitting behind you, you know, now that wasn't from day one, but, 
it's it's a funny thing for a therapist because uh you know as a therapist you know you learn all your theory and stuff in college you learn kind of you know kind of all like the the textbook stuff in colleges but then when you actually go to be a therapist uh where most therapists actually learn how to be a therapist is from their own therapist you know so you learn uh you know how to actually make interpretations for clients how to uh how to kind of hold silence when somebody can't uh you know kind of when somebody's thinking or how to uh maybe get someone to speak when they're about to speak um it's kind of an unrelated one but uh i saw some picture i don't know was it from one of my friends or from someone a few weeks ago but um they had changed now maybe maybe it was just some randomer but they had changed like their therapist and they were getting like a new therapist whatever and um there was some they just had like screenshot of the text and the therapist was like um it was like oh yeah i'm i regret it's sad to see that you've changed therapist again and they've said they kind of threw in a few digs basically about like you know um uh it's a pity you'd be maybe you'd be a bit further on in your journey if you didn't have to change therapist every six months um have you ever and it was all this kind of toxic stuff and, and they even mentioned a few things about their past and stuff and it's i kind of read it i was thinking jesus christ like the just to do that and it's it's like to understand mm. how sensitive someone is with like certain information that they've given you and to almost use it against them in that way do you know yeah. when they obviously left you for a reason it's um it's uh yeah i was just shocked but i just thought i'd let you know about that yeah that that's a that's that's kind of a, a bit of an odd one obviously i don't know the case um and yeah. i don't know the therapist um but generally you know so when a client leaves you know um you know there's a i suppose a sense of uh you know kind of wanting them to have finished their work if you know what i mean you know and you know, I think, you know, from my perspective, like when, so when somebody comes to me and they say, well, I'm going to finish up, you know, you know, I say to them, well, you know, kind of, I'd like you to, you know, kind of, you know, come to your session this week and we'll talk about, you know, how you think things are good, how you think things went, why you want to finish up, how, where you want to go with it, you know, and, you know, always I'm kind of in the position where I was like, well, if you want to finish up, that's okay, but you know where I am. If you want to come back send me a message and i'll see and i'll try and if i have an appointment for you i'll give it to you you know um because i think that's i think that's really important for a therapist is to say well look you can always come back you know because uh it was somebody was when i was training uh, i was working in a place uh with uh and, and the base the clinical director he used to he would kind of be, you know, always, you know, talking to the trainees about various things. And he said, uh, he said one day, he's like, the thing that we always have to remember is that we might be the only time a client actually experiences a positive end to a relationship. You know, so any, any ending they've ever seen is probably bad. Mm. You know? So it's like, you know, kind of, I mean, how, how do relationships end? They usually end in fights and or else. So it's like when your relationship with your therapist ends and your therapist goes, you know, 
you know, sorry, you know, it's like, I'm sorry to see you go, you know what I mean? But you're absolutely welcome back. You know, that seems really different. Yeah. You know, hopefully, you know, kind of in a circumstance like that, the client actually gets something from the ending as well, that they can actually say to themselves, well, actually not all endings are bust-ups, you know? Yeah, and it just shows where where 99% of therapists are looking from. They're looking from like the well-being of the client and not like a selfishness to try and make the client better themselves. They said, look, if someone else is do it can do a better job than me, said leaves them off and hopefully look more than welcome back. But if there's someone who can do it better than me, that's that's fine, which is the right way to look at it. Like, Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the mo- most therapists, I mean, you know, a lot of therapists will, you know, anytime you know, this is a client who comes in and you realize that, you know, it's going nowhere. You, there is a kind of an ethical obligation to say, you know, look, you know, I mean, you, you might do better with another therapist, you know, and sometimes like, I mean, you know, there's people who come in and they, they really want to see a female therapist, you know. Why is that, do you think? Um, I think I think it's actually to do with with kind of a little bit of a stereotype that women are more okay with emotions. A little bit, but I think that you know. Also, I think like there's, you know, it's uh, you know, it's kind of like the, shall we say, it's a you know, a casting of caring roles. I mean, if you look at kids in schools and they think you know, you 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 say to a kid in a school, you know, nurse, they usually think of a female nurse. If you think if you you know, look at primary teaching, you know, and uh, preschool education, it's massively kind of, shall we say, female dominated in that sense. And it's the same in like the social sciences and psychology and psychotherapy is that I think, uh, I think about, is it 70 or 80% of psychotherapists are women? Mm. You know, which is you know it's like so it strikes people as a bit odd that you know a man's a therapist even though you know kind of historically all like all of like the the you know the early kind of psychologists and stuff were all men obviously because that was you know you know the late 1800s and that was uh how that went you know but uh you know so it, it has changed a lot in that sense but it does get uh you know, I think it does, and I think there are some people who, you know, think maybe that you know, kind of men can be a bit, a bit scary, or you know, kind of whatever, in the room, you know. Yeah, because I think I think people do notice that a bit as a kid, like definitely, even as you said, like the preschool thing, like I've like any preschool I was I was uh, the preschool I was in, and any any friend ever had, I never remember hearing about a a man being a preschool teacher. So it's definitely it's like the different it's them different kind of stereotypical things that as you say men are kind of typically a bit more scary like to open up to maybe and maybe it probably does like is the stereotype that lads are a bit more kind of caged in with emotions and stuff and that's kind of a stereotypical thing it's not as it's not the it's not as true as it used to be like but um probably people do probably still associate it like you know associate women with emotional and openness and then men would just kind of like just get on with it kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think that definitely does come into it. Yeah. Does that ever affect 
Has that obviously? Did you say that was your client that said they wanted to see a woman, a woman? Oh, uh, sometimes her. it happens. It's, it's you know, I mean, there's there, it it happens lots of times. There's you know, kind of clients who have preference for they want to see a woman, they want to see a man, they want to see whatever you know. Yeah, yeah. It's a valid preference. I mean, like you know, kind of they have a right to ask for them, and you know, kind of. Like that, I mean, obviously, you know, if somebody comes, if somebody comes along and they say, well, I think I'd get on better, well, I'll say, well, here's, you know, here's, here's one of my colleagues numbers, you know, that's no problem, you mm. know, because, uh, you know, it's like, you know, if they're, if they're not going to be comfortable, if they're not going to be able to actually give it, if they're not going to be able to actually open up, then, you know, I have, I have an ethical responsibility to, you know, maybe to maybe give, uh, and give them a better shot with a different therapist. Yeah. Um, we were talking a bit like before this about like psycho psychodynamic therapy. Um, mm. I would try and define it now, but I'd probably make a hash of it. But um, what to you, what is psychodynamic therapy? Could you go on explain a bit about how how you take how you do it with clients? So psychodynamic therapy is it's it's kind of therapy that is informed by uh you know kind of psychoanalysis and uh, things like that so it's it's about uh sort of working at depth you know it's not like it's not so much about what somebody's doing as why they're doing it you know so if there's something that's causing a problem in someone's life why is it why one why is it causing a problem but two if it's causing a problem why are they doing it you know, um, and it's about, it's not about creating change. It's about creating for a client an opportunity for them to change if they want to. You know, it's, it's a slightly different kind of uh, way of looking at therapy. Like, so for example, like the behaviorist schools, you kind of go on, that's about, you know, directly influencing behaviors and saying, well, okay, well follow these rules and things will get better. You know, and they give homework and things like that. Where, uh, you know, in other words, like the, the psychodynamic schools is a lot less, um, look, there's, there's no homework. That's the first thing, you know? good. but, uh, most of it, but a lot of it is, it's about relationships, you know, it's about forming a relationship with, between the client and the therapist, but it's a, it's a, it's a relationship that's different than any other relationship, you know, because it's, it's a relationship with someone who you at least in part imagine you know because like you know you don't know very much about your therapist you know so you have to imagine a little bit about what they're like and that creates uh, a whole other set of kind of uh, avenues to explore and um so in this like let's say it's like a relationship or something that like I'm just going to use an example because when I'm thinking of this, I have to like imagine something in my head. So like, let's say what someone is coming into you about is like a relationship that broke down after we'll say two or three years. So are you basically trying to like, what are you trying to get them to, are you trying to get them to like feel that scenario again? Or is it like to get to the root of it, to see what, like to unbox it to a degree that like you under, you understand what um the actual thing that's making you, that made you feel tra trauma about it or for one yeah, better I mean, word. So, right. So, okay. So say it's a relationship that has broken down. Is it the first time a relationship's broken down the same way? 
you know are there other relationships in your life that follow the same pattern you know and you can look at things and for a lot of people they follow relationship patterns that are familiar because there's a, a compulsion to repeat them and try and repair them you know so you'll see people who you know you, you know you hear people going you know they have a type hmm. right well that type is related to something there's a reason why you go for particular people and the question is well what's that reason is that reason serving you you know i mean you know are you are you going for people who there's never a future with because you're actually terrified of a future you know you know maybe because there's something in the past that you're like well i don't really want to be in a relationship forever you know that's just you know kind of an example you know yeah yeah so it all kind of does it all lead back to one kind of traumatic maybe not one but like does it all lead back to one traumatic thing that made that almost def not defined but kind of like shaped other things that they did like as you say like one past relationship might have ended terribly and said they mightn't want to have wanted to commit to anything bigger and that's kind of why they they ran away from a serious relationship or just kind of were with people mm. they knew wouldn't really last yeah it doesn't it's not always one i mean there's there's any number of reasons why anything could happen and it's so it was like you know there's you know there can never really be an assumption about it we have to assume you know from the start that every therapy is brand new and we don't really know anything so you know i mean so one person using the same scenario might have come in you know and like that they might have had a terrible experience with a previous partner that altered how they view um relationships or they might have grown up in a house with parents who hate each other you know and, and, and endured countless silent meal times and they suddenly find that they can't actually abide the idea of having that be them, you know, in 20 years time. So there, you know, so there's, there's loads and loads and loads of different reasons why any one symptom might appear. And it's about, you know, kind of going and figuring out, well, what's the, what's this about? What's the symptom trying to say to you about your life? You know, and then when you and if and hopefully when you get to the point of going, okay, I should get why that symptom's there. Well, then maybe the symptom doesn't need to be there anymore. And and how do you go about like you can't really get rid of it? Like what what would you say like to solve the, the trauma or just when you go to the root of it, you just I, I, is this is it about trying to solve it? Obviously, you can't really get rid of things like that they'll always be in your head is it just trying to come to peace with it sometimes it's about coming to peace with it sometimes it's about making it less frightening and sometimes people you know like as you say you know the, the, the unboxing thing sometimes people they they open that box that they were terrified of and find something in it and they go oh is that all hmm. you know every once in a while you know you, just, you know sometimes because when you experience things as a child they're much bigger so if you're so things that you're really really terrified of as a child can you know the the you might be you might spend your whole life running away from the anxiety that's caused by them but when you actually get to the root of it it's like it's actually something that you look at as an adult and go 
that was really quite small. It wasn't a, it wasn't actually a big thing. Now, obviously, that's not always true. Sometimes there is actually a huge thing. You know? mm. um, and, you know, there is, you know, trauma is a thing. It happens, you know, there's nobody gets out of childhood entirely untraumatized. You know, there's levels of kind of trauma and separation and anxiety. They're just part of the world we live in. That doesn't mean that you don't need, that doesn't mean that people don't need to be, you know, shall we say, to heal from them. You know, it just, uh, there's a, a big question of, you know, kind of, well, how much is it before it becomes intolerable? You know, how, you know, if it's having a negative impact on your life, why not do something about it? You know? Yeah. It's, um, yeah. And, and as you say, like the, like any experience with that you, um, like any, any, anything traumatizing that you go through in childhood does seem to be a lot. Um, it does seem, as you say, it sticks with you and you can kind of tend to run away from it in adulthood. Like I'm lucky enough. I don't really have anything like majorly like fucking traumatizing that I can remember from child i don't sorry i don't have anything um but it's it's um sorry i just completely forgot what i was gonna say sorry i just that's sorry that's never happened i just i, I literally had a question i uh, sorry it's interesting I, though because it actually happens in therapy a lot people forget what they're gonna say yeah and some people interpret that as being well if there's a you know if there's a thing you forgot with that you were about to say that just vanished, what well, was a reason why you couldn't say it? You know you can say well okay what's that reason maybe there's a thing, you know but I mean like you say okay so you say you know that there's nothing ever happened, right? So do you ever get lost in the shops? Um, I do once or twice. I think that's just purely out of stupidity, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, okay, so you, you get lost in the shops and you're how old? Five? Yeah, five or six, yeah. All right, so think about like a five a five or six year old. So what about they're, you know, you know, four foot tall at best, you know, probably three foot, you know. And you know, it's like, okay, so they're you know, you're smaller than everyone, so everyone else looks like a giant. Right. You can't see over, you know, for example, if you're in pennies, you can't see over the racks. Right. And you start and you start shouting for your mom, but you can't hear, but she can't hear you because it's loud in there. So for a five-year-old, that's a terrifying experience. You know? And if it go, I mean and Almost every five-year-old has that experience at some point. Now, 90% of the time, you know, 30, 40 seconds later, their mouth finds them, right? And they feel better. But what happens if it's 20 minutes? Stick you with know, them. Then, that like... child is terrified for 20 minutes. Now, as an adult, you look and go, I got lost in pennies. But as a child, you're like, I'm never, I'm never going to find my way home. I'm, you know, yeah, you know, it becomes gigantic and very quickly. And part of that is because there is a, you know, and part of the function of, you know, because humans have a very long period of infancy compared to every other animal. I mean, we are, 
pretty helpless for an extended period of time. Um, but what that means is that like, so babies are born with this inherent knowledge that they can die. Right. So they're, you know, they experience anxiety and fear from that and that becomes that kind of separation where it's like well you know if i lose sight of my caregiver if they can't find me i'm screwed and yeah. the thing is but they don't actually they don't have words for it it's just a feeling why yeah. they're terrified it's just a feeling yeah you know so it but that can that can kind of permeate someone's life like in terms of uh their relationships that they're so afraid that someone's going to leave them or whatever that they can never really enter a relationship because if they're attached to someone and they leave that's really painful yeah because when do you think you lose that sense of attachment from like a pair like a, not not like obviously you're kind of always attached to your parents but like that kind of like childlike attachment to like oh shit where are they gone like i'm like you know like that thing like getting lost in the shops like that yeah. that primal fear that when you actually lose them like that um I think there's a point at which you 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 realize that you are self-sufficient. You know? And I think uh you know, so you know, it's it's the point where I suppose where you realize that oh I can actually survive independently. That's usually shortly after that kind of uh you know, it's you know, it's like around the time you when you go when you by the time you're finished primary school, usually you're pretty okay in terms of that kind of stuff. Um, but it's, it's about, was it, there's a, there's a thing called attachment theory, which is kind of uh, related to that. It's like basically, so your attachment style is determined by your very early experiences. And what they found was that kids who are securely attached tend to range further, faster, so they become less dependent quicker because they're confident that mommy will find them. You know, so in in opposition to that, so they go back to the kid and pennies, in opposition to that fact, there's, you know, in, in opposition to that fear, there is a, a thing that's, you know, it's like, so a securely attached child is like, they are absolutely sure that their mom will find them. Now, obviously, 20 minutes, they're starting to get worried, right? But they will be calmer for longer, whereas an insecurely attached child will be like 30 seconds. They are freaking out, you know, because they don't actually believe that mommy's going to come back. You know, and that's one of the big things I have about the, the idea, you know, kind of years ago of you know when they started doing it, it was like getting babies to cry it out you know there's kind of a whole generation of babies that were literally left in cots to scream and cry until they fell asleep right because somebody thought well that'll stop them crying the thing is it doesn't teach them to self-soothe what it teaches them is that nobody's coming yeah Right. That's all they learned from that is that nobody cares. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of parents who never meant, never, who were well intentioned, you know, and were advised by, you know, kind of people writing parenting books, this was a good option. You know, um, and, you know, shall we say, from a behavioral point of view, the baby stops crying. <laughs> 
but they don't stop experiencing fear and terror. They just stop screaming about it. Yeah. They're such they're such formative like experiences. Even when you talk about like the the being like left in the shop, I even kind of when you were saying it, I kind of imagined like a crossroads almost like the kid who gets left for 30 seconds, and they're both will say secure kids. Mm-hmm. Kid who gets left for 30 seconds, and then the kid who gets left for 20 minutes, and like how their brain chemistry, you could maybe call it how they just get changed in that instance, like Jesus, maybe no one's coming back for me. And the like after the 30 seconds, one kid one is kind of like, right, okay, I'm safe, it's fine now. The other mm-hmm. kid is like where's me ma'am and then even when she does come back you're kind of the next time it happens like jesus even if you're only left for 30 seconds there's a thing in your head like jesus she took a while to come back last time like this this fear thing kicks in again um it's like that it's like that indents on a kid's brain or something from childhood because you've you've talked about how formative them things are it's yeah i mean that's that's one of those things but like a lot of those things we don't ever remember as adults Hmm. we don't think about them because they're not Shall we say important to our daily lives? They don't occur to us. But the thing is, they do. They do create, uh, you know, an idea. Now, this is the thing. You know, it's like, of course, is you know, it's like somebody said. It's like you know, childhood shouldn't be as safe as possible. It should be as, uh, you know, kind of there should be risk that's managed for children. You know, so for example, you know, I mean, if you never allow your child out of your sight. If you hold your if you hold your kid by the hand till they're 12 they never learn to be independent either mm. you know so that prolongs that period where they actually are susceptible to those issues so then when they get launched into secondary school they're really in for a rough go yeah yeah you know so there's a there's a line where you kind of have to be uh, I think it was the uh, there's a British uh, psychoanalyst called Donald Winnicott uh, and he described the idea of being good enough you know so that kid who experiences that 30 seconds you know and then I find that the kid experiences something he's you know and he's aware okay well mom can be gone mom will come back but mom can be gone and I need to be able to survive on my own so he actually will start to shall we say develop and make plans as what do I do what do I do myself that will enable me to and the child grows and develops and moves along but you know kind of in you know shall we say in infancy like there's a ma- there's a managed level at which they can ma- at which kids can manage that they can't actually uh you know a five-year-old can't cook a dinner right mm. that's not safe but a five-year-old can definitely help mommy or daddy to cook the dinner you know they can learn things and, uh, you know, and from that they can, you know, should we say a foster a sense of independence and playing outside, you know, only marginally supervised play, you know? I mean, I think there's a, people give out a lot about like parents in playgrounds, not paying attention to their kids. It's like, do they really need you to pay that much attention to them in the playground? You sit in the bench and you wait and they'll come and get, and if you hear them screaming, go find them. You know, <laughs> you know, you don't actually have to sit and pe- you don't have to sit and watch them all the time in that sense, because, well, they have to explore and they have to learn. They have to learn to play with the other kids, you know, and take turns and things like that. And that, you know, 
those things they will work themselves out a little bit. Yeah, and and as another thing they have to do is like they have to like occasionally fall off a swing or like hurt their leg or stuff like that. Like, and they're all they're all experiences. Like you know, what you hear in the last few years, people are kind of going like trying to wrap their kids in cotton wool. Like I understand it because like you know no one like no one wants to see their kid hurt like it's you know none of us none of us want to see a kid hurt but it's all about like it's it's just just practical stuff like if you fall off the swing when you're six you probably won't fall off when you're eight and it's it's just stuff like that but um yeah there is probably an over emphasis of trying to protect kids rather than just letting them be free and experience things like i always know it's the difference between even people maybe this is just me but i know it's like a difference between people from like the country and sometimes people from the town, like if you're in the country, maybe it's the same in the town, but maybe to, maybe nowadays it, people in the country still swing out of trees and still cr- climb on roofs and you know, nearly kill themselves half the time. So it's exactly. it, it fosters this kind of sense of freedom and maybe madness in the moment. So you can notice that in a few years time when you're mixing with people from the town that they um they have a different kind of idea of what like fun is almost. I don't know. Maybe just Yeah, maybe. no, I, I would I would definitely say that is a thing like because um you can definitely see it in, shall we say, you know, kind of, let's say, you know, rural communities where there's there's actually more stuff to do. Mm. Whereas in cities, you are very limited on what uh, kids and teenagers can actually do without parents there. You know, and part of that is there's a, shall we say, a little bit of a paranoia. There's a much higher density of people. So, you know, if you live in a village, for example, you probably know all of your neighbors. And that gives you a sense of safety. Right? Because you know everyone. If you live in a town, it's not possible to know everyone because you're, you know, kind of talk about thousands of people rather than, you know, a couple of hundred people. You know, and if you're like, if you're talking, if you're living in a big city, you're talking about maybe a million people. You know, and that's that's the point where you're kind of going, well, I can't actually know everyone. It's not possible. So, that, but because there's there's more people in closer proximity, that sense of danger for parents is more uh, Im- is more imminent. You know, you yeah. know the should say the percentage doesn't change. It's just the number of people you know, around. So it's like, you know, it, so it becomes more, you get these more kind of, shall we say, overprotective and less kind of go out in that field there and play. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. Um, I'd like to talk to you about, um, narcissism. I saw actually a few videos, um, on your TikTok about this yeah. and, um, I know like the baseline, what it is, like, it's kind of like this, belief that you're maybe always right or that you're something i mightn't be you could i could be completely wrong but what what actually is it from your understanding okay so it's 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 actually quite complicated because um there is uh there's a level of narcissism that everyone has and everyone has to have because it's also responsible for like self-preservation and stuff like that so you know i think uh you can have, you know, the idea of so there's, you know, primary and secondary narcissisms and things like that. You can say so primary narcissism is like, you know, kind of toddlers. Toddlers do not see anyone else as important other than them. Yeah. Right. And they can't because they have to start, they have to actually start establishing themselves as a person. 
you know, as a separate and distinct person. That's like, that, that is a narcissistic process. Or, for example, where, you know, where somebody's lost a loved one or a partner, there's a, there's a, you know, grief is a narcissistic process because it involves a lot of self-reflection and withdrawing from other people. You know, and then you end up, then you go into, um, you know, shall we say, uh, the you know, secondary narcissisms, which are less healthy. You know, it's where like, yeah, I'm more important than other people, or uh, people, you know, kind of, or you know, it's like, and it's it's not always even a, a conscious belief, right? And this is the part that people get kind of confused by. It's like, well, so you can have the narcissist who is like, I'm brilliant and nothing's my fault. Right, but you can also have a narcissist where everything is their fault. Oh, really? Yeah, because oh. for everything to be your fault, you have to be really important, don't you? Yeah. So that's also kind of a narcissistic thing. It's about assigning importance, right? So, but the thing is, people don't think about it that way. People only think of like the stereotypical, uh, you know, kind of certain presidents of the united states uh <laughs> kind of narcissism you know that's how people imagine it you know whereas where there's actually there's actually you know a lot of people who are quite narcissistic who really really seem like they're you know really vulnerable and really kind of um you know perhaps even you know perhaps even and people will talk to them that you might actually believe that yeah they are the victim and all these things that's happened to them you know and that's yeah. a that's a thing that can you know that can really kind of be difficult for for therapists to deal with because you come you know therapists often when they're dealing with kind of narcissistic clients they end up with feelings of real inadequacy it's like i can't help this person i'm not good enough i'm you know and so that's one of the ways that actually therapists actually you know kind of learn to work with well, certain schools of therapists learn to work with narcissism actually through that, what they call the counter-transference, where, I'm, where I, my feelings in relation to myself when with the client are actually become important to uh, thinking about what's going on with the client. Um, what, what's, um, what kind of... What, what was... The, sorry, what was it again? Um, yeah, sorry, you they can't see their wrongdoing or like they kind of they think they're kind of the victim all the time is there do you like can you understand like the reason for that or is it kind of just like each to their own is there kind of things that keep cropping up that that explain it or oh fuck Oh, you were frozen for a second. Yeah, sorry, you were as well. <laughs> right. Um, let's see. Where was I? Oh yeah, so narcissism as a you know, yeah, it's 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 kind of a to each their own thing. You know, there's a hundred reasons why somebody might have narcissistic traits. You know, now when people think about you know, that kind of major narcissism, what they're really you know. Or whether or where you see somebody talked about as a narcissist, a lot of narcissist, a lot of the time people are talking about a thing called narcissistic personality disorder, which is obviously it's a it's a disorder that's actually diagnosed by 
you know, kind of psychiatrists and things. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, and it's basically, it's made up of like kind of a few, you know, kind of a, as, you know, a set of kind of, you know, if you do this, 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 and this, you're probably a, a narcissist in that sense, you know, but there's other ways of looking at it as well. Like, so, um, you know, I think it was Christine Louis de Cannonville. Um, she, uh, talked about the idea that well somebody can have you know so she, she, she was a, I think it, I think it's six or seven of the required traits to be uh she would say a narcissist in the uh, diagnosable way but if somebody has four of those traits there's still quite a lot of problems there you know um they just can't be diagnosed with anything and um, uh, so, the, so the diagnostics in that sense is not great, but um, I think it was there's a there is some there is some work done on on was it uh, what they call vulnerable narcissism, which is like that other side of narcissism where it's like the the people who are you know kind of like that it's all my fault or you know the the shall we say the eternal victim you know where people are doing things to me and you know that kind of stuff. There is work done on that um there's a bit there's research there's more research going on now than there was previously um what are the is, is there did you say there was like six or seven like traits that what you could diagnose that could be diagnosed sorry could diagnose you with narcissist nar, well sorry what would you call like a narcissistic narcissistic personality disorder okay what um, was... yeah, so basically there's there's a a book called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which mm. is published by the American Psychiatric Association. Um, most therapists don't really have a whole lot of use for it because like that, it's, you know, tick the box and find out. It doesn't actually say anything about why somebody is a certain way or how you should treat them. It just tells, it just has a list of things for classification of them. But uh, yeah, so there's a, there's a list of traits. I can't remember them offhand, but like there's things like lack of empathy and entitlement and that kind of stuff. But there's a, there's a list of traits that if somebody had sufficiently sufficient of these and they've been going on for so long or whatever, they might be diagnosed with personality disorder. Um, but that, you know, yet again to say it's, it's not a perfect thing because anytime somebody's diagnosed, according to that, it is kind of a, you know, it's a it's a little bit like a game of bingo you know whichever one whichever whichever box whichever set of boxes fills up first is the one you have all oh, right right it doesn't actually say why it's only it's really it's it's it, it you know it kind of facilitates shorthand for doctors and clinicians more than anything else so it's like well i know that if somebody if i'm if somebody's sent to me and i get a a referral note that says they've been diagnosed with whatever I can look up whatever that is and say, okay, well, they probably have these issues, right? I don't know why. That's a whole different ballgame. I don't know why they have those issues. And that's my job is to really kind of explore why they have something or why you know, why they do things they do. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Like I've the reason I asked you about narcissism is because like I've de I've dealt with like people over the years who like like literally cannot see what and like as you say like the self-victimization thing that they're just it's always someone mm. else's fault and like anything that went wrong any situation where it was kind of 50 50 it was just never like physically like it was like 
glaring levels. They just literally could not see what they did wrong. Like, and um, yeah. just always, you know, someone else did them wrong. And this kind of had this chip on their shoulder. Um, it's I, I can't. It must be a very tough job for a therapist to try and sit down with them and just try to make them make them a bit. You're kind of trying to make them self aware, aren't you? Just to see someone else's side of it. There's a, there's a little bit of that. It's you know kind of you know it's like the whole process of therapy is about self awareness. You know, it's about becoming kind of aware. It's becoming aware of things even when you think you're self aware. You know. It's about well, what you know. It's about you know asking a, a question in a different way, and for some time, you know, and for some people, yeah, there's a question of like assigning, you know, blame where it belongs. Sometimes, like, well, what happened, you know, and why did that happen? Did it have to happen that way? What was the answer to that? Is there anywhere you've seen that before? You know, is this the third or fourth time this has happened to you? You know, um. And you can say, right, well, what's going on here? What, why, why, why are you doing this? You know, you are undoubtedly suffering. You know, what's going on? Why are you in this situation? You know, and by asking the, you know, you, you know, by asking the questions rather than saying, oh, this person is this or this person is that, you know, we get to assume, you know, assume if we, if I assume nothing, you know, then that person gets to come to their own realizations and go, oh, wait, that. Oh, I I did this thing and that might be what what went wrong, you know. And maybe it is or maybe it isn't what went wrong. But maybe they actually reach a point where they go, okay, well, you know, I can change this behavior and see what happens. Mm. Now, of course, that's that's not for everyone. There's, there are times when people just cannot, you know, um, do that. They can't. They just can't do it. And that's, uh, you know, that's kind of a a different level of difficulty where you're looking into much more difficult work to try and uh, uncover what's going on, you know, but there, there's always a lot, there's a lot of uh, processes about kind of narcissism. I think um, there's a, there's a guy called Neville Simington wrote a book about it, but he, uh, he talks about, uh, the idea that there's this uh, thing that makes you want things, right? So he calls he calls this he calls it, he calls it the life giver object, you know, and it's like basically so it's the thing that makes you want things that are outside yourself. It makes you creative. It makes you, you know, re reflective. But it's also a thing that makes you anxious and makes you uncomfortable because other than that, you wouldn't change. You know, mm -hmm. so that that's kind of what you're trying to do. Is you're trying to introduce this uh, object, which is uh, um, the cause of desire. You know, trying to get that client to ask the question and go, "Well, why do I want some? What you know, do I want something more than this?" Uh, all right. What what link did? Sorry, did you say there was a link with that to narcissism? That like yeah okay so um be a bit theory heavy here um so basically there's 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 an idea by was it there's an idea called was it basically where people retreat psychically from things you know and they they basically so things that make you 
anxious, right? You don't like them because they make you work because you don't want. It. So what you do is rather than um, you know dealing with them and the anxiety gets resolved, what actually happens is you you pull away from them and you run away, and you basically run away from those anxieties. Now, at a certain point, that becomes problematic from a various you know set of re reasons you know but uh one of the things so when you have shall we say anxieties that you're not really kind of conscious of you know or anxieties are in relation to people or relationships or things like that all can happen or you know kind of in the extreme sense where you have a trauma that causes it what happens is the person actually retreats into themselves right so they're still walking around, but fundamentally they're not reaching outside themselves, they're not connecting to anyone else. Right? And that's it's about safety and feeling safe because they only they don't feel safe if they're attached to anyone. So they attach to themselves instead. Yeah. Hmm. So what happens is what in order to do that, they have to give up what this thing that Symington called the life giver or uh I think it's you know kind of similar to what uh, Lacan called the uh the object little a but it's it's this thing that makes that makes you want to reach outside yourself you know and so basically in order to come back out of come back out of that kind of shell right so the idea is well, this is a, a natural process basically where you retreat and the idea is you know i suppose in some ways that you're going to you know retreat until you heal and then you can move forward again yeah but some people they get stuck in that retreat and they can't actually get back out of it and that's kind of where therapy comes in because that's the job of the therapist is to slowly get you out of the bubble you know um, but basically so one of those kind of retreats is into narcissism you know right. but like that so the narcissistic one is basically where you are giving up that that object that allows you to be actually interact with the world properly yeah it's kind of like a coping mechanism almost like just to escape from or maybe not escape but like you know to maybe they're not, they're not willing to go through anxiety and go through all the things and it's 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 obviously at the time it's a lot more comfortable to go away um go away from me it's just it's just interesting how different people react to like stress and anxiety like that's you can learn a lot from a person of like how they actually deal with stuff like that and where their mind and thought process goes to when they're when they're anxious about something yeah no you definitely can um and part of that is of course because people repeat those patterns you know people behave in certain ways when they're stressed they don't behave in otherwise you know or more to the point when they reach levels of stress they can't normally cope with you know uh, because that's a that's a big thing of course is that there's no such thing as a stress-free existence that's, yeah. that's a pipe dream you know i mean just just getting out of bed in the morning makes you more stressed than you were you know so it's a question of well what's what's should we say healthy stress and what's unhealthy stress and that's the big question for a lot of people in that sense but yeah so people people do they retreat from those things and they you know kind of become stuck in their um escapism yeah yeah it's it's interesting enough all right um yeah, that's nearly everything I have to ask you now, to be honest. Um, the last question I ask every guest, I haven't really asked anything really about you in fairness. I was kind of just asking about like therapy and stuff like that. 
Um, but uh, last question I'll ask you is, uh, are you are you happy? Am I happy? Uh, for the most part, yeah. You but, know, but uh, you know, happiness is a is a question. You know, nobody's happy permanently. You know, but it's a question of you know, kind of. I always think about happiness in terms of, uh, you know, are there simple things that that can make me happy? You know, you know, it's like if I go for a, if I go for a walk in a park on a nice day, do I feel happy? It's like yes, I do. Well, that's not too bad. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a cons. It's um. I don't know. It's it's like all the different things that like make up happiness. Like I'm not going to shy along for about too much, but like, do you know, mm. like having like a purpose and stuff, and like, just, I don't know. Maybe not like, not re like I was going to say not reaching too high, but you know, that people kind of have all these massive dreams, and when they don't go right straight away or something, it's like there's this mm. sense of like, you know, I failed and my life's yeah. my life's a waste of time and all this. So maybe it's. It's an accumulation. I mean, it's probably more stuff as well. There's an accumulation of all that stuff that keeps you keeps you happy, maybe. Yeah, you know, I think I think there is. I think you know, I think you know, probably one of the big things about being happy is just to uh, you know, kind of accept where you are. I mean, it's like, right, oh, well, I'm here. Is it the best place I could be? No. Could I be in a better place tomorrow? Maybe. You know, but you know. If you can sit down at the end of the day and put your feet up and, you know, have a cup of tea or whatever and feel happy with yourself and, you know, feel that you, you know, did all right and, you know, that that's enough for you, then, you know, that for a lot of people is enough. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's nearly it, I suppose. Um we'll leave it there have you anything you want to plug actually like any social media or any anything you want to mention um i haven't got a, i was like i haven't got a whole lot i mean uh i did develop uh, i you know was like i did a i think there was a where i you know i i wrote up a, a program for you know kind of teaching teenagers how to manage stress better um you know so uh obviously if anyone uh you know kind of has a youth group that wants to, you know, kind of wants to have a look at that, you know, kind of get in touch with me, but that's about it, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. I suppose we'll leave it there. So, yeah, um, I'll just right. thank you for coming on and um, been a good chat and I'd like to think I've learned a bit about narcissism and uh, psychodynamic therapy and a few more bits like that. So I'd like to, th- I'd like to think I'm enlightened. All right. It was great to great to chat to you and uh you know anytime and obviously if any if anyone who's listening has any questions they can uh you know they can send them to you and you can send them to me or whatever. Of course, of course. No, I'll definitely right. yeah, no, I'll definitely um I'll send your name around for anyone who needs a bit of therapy on it. <laughs> All right. All right. No bother, sure. I'll talk to you later. Thanks very much. I'll talk to you there. All right.